Good stuff. Thank you so much. That was a fun song, wasn't it? And as we're singing about the the blood that will never lose its power, it's all-encompassing, it always has power. It's the same thing that we've been talking about in this sermon series about the kingdom of God, or as Matthew says in his gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And so far in this sermon series on earth as it is in heaven, we're, we're thinking about that prayer that Jesus, when he talked about uh, when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say on earth as it is in heaven, is it something we just say or is it something that we actually think about? How do I practice that in my daily life, in my everyday life? So we've been looking at these parables that Jesus used to describe this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, and we've looked at these parables about a sower and seeds and soils and the conditions of the soil, crop production. What do you do when you get weeds in your wheat? How do you handle that? The mystery of a, of a tiny seed being planted that you can hardly see that grows into this huge bush or even a tree. Um, the mystery of mixing in yeast into a, a batch of dough and seeing it rise and make this big loaf of bread. And last week, if you were here, you remember we looked at these two different guys who both found a treasure. One just stumbled across it as he's walking through a field. Another one is actually seeking specifically for this pearl of great price and founds it. And both men, as Jesus says, like the kingdom of God, they sold everything they had to get this treasure of of great price. And they were forever changed by this purchase of what they found. But these stories we know are more than just stories about agriculture, aren't they? They're not just stories about farming. They're not just stories about baking bread or finding treasures. There's something else that Jesus is trying to get us to see and to look at. So Jesus, as I said before, he set many things. A parable is setting one thing right next to another and saying, the kingdom of God is like this thing right here. And you make that comparison. And Jesus was trying to set these different things in their culture in that time. And honestly, we can, re, uh, we can reflect and look at these same things in our culture today and say, what was Jesus trying to get his audience, his disciples to see in that time period? And what is he trying to see, get us to see as his audience and in his disciples today? What is he trying to get us to grasp about God's kingdom? And God was initiating and revealing his kingdom in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And those who heard Jesus then and throughout all history, even now, cannot bring about, we cannot, no one in history can bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, unless we really understand the heart of God. And then we really understand that Jesus initiated that kingdom through his life. Now, a lot of people say, have said for throughout history, and even a lot of people say today, that Jesus was a great teacher. Those parables were great. But they will not acknowledge that Jesus is actually the Son of God, the Messiah who was to come. They won't acknowledge that. Well, all those things that Jesus taught lose their power if that's not true. But Jesus was who he said he was. And he not only talked about and taught these things, Jesus literally lived these things out. Jesus was and is the revelation of that kingdom. Jesus didn't just teach about the kingdom of God. Jesus lived it out in his actions, in his miracles. We saw that has to be from God. Nobody can do those supernatural things if they're not from God. 
his healing, his compassion, his heart for people who were not only physically had ailments or, or problems or disorders, but those who mentally and emotionally and spiritually were struggling. Jesus had a heart for all of them. And so we've learned these things about God's kingdom as we've gone through these parables. We've learned the first thing is, is that it's all-inclusive. God's kingdom is all-inclusive of all of, of humanity. And we miss that sometimes. It's for everyone. And it's certainly mysterious. It works in ways that we don't necessarily see or understand or always grasp. But it is actually present and working even if we don't understand it. It's that powerful and mysterious. And it grows and it works and it... Even in hostile, even in environments that are hostile or evil, the presence of God's kingdom is even there and works in spite of that. And it consistently calls for a response from us, from anybody that experiences and, and sees the kingdom of God at work. It, it calls a response to either accept and join God's kingdom and be a part of that or to reject it and go on your own way or another way. So we're going to look at another parable today, still in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel. saying, man, we've been in Matthew for like six weeks. Well, this was a day in the life of Jesus where Jesus told a lot of parables. And it went on and on in this particular chapter. But Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, and Matthew was an eyewitness. Matthew was there that day, and I believe that all of God's Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to tell all of these parables that happened on that day, even if it took up a whole chapter. <laughs> he didn't worry about that. When the Holy Spirit's inspiring you to write down what God wants you to tell the people, not only in that first century, but going out throughout history, you keep writing and you keep remembering what you heard Jesus say. So we're going to look at chapter 13. Now, what we notice from the beginning of chapter 13 is Jesus was talking outside to an audience, a rather large audience, and he got in a boat and he faced the crowd that was on the shore because apparently in those days the acoustics were much better that way. You ever try to talk to somebody on the beach and sometimes it's hard, but if you get towards there and you yell out this way, it's better. That's why Jesus got in the boat and he's talking to the crowd and they're listening. But Jesus told the parable of the sower to this crowd and Jesus' disciples were in that crowd. Then Jesus' disciples, and I guess in the midst of that crowd, say, hey, explain that parable, and Jesus did. Then he told another parable about the weeds. Then he told another parable about the mustard seed and the yeast that we, we've looked at in the last few weeks. And then it says, and then Jesus left the crowd, and he went into a house, or the house, where he was staying with somebody. And as he went in, the disciples go, no, 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 wait a minute. We, we want to hear more. We want to know more about this kingdom of God. And so they go into the house with him, and they say, hey, explain the parable of the weeds that you just taught. And Jesus explained that to him. And then he told them a couple of more parables. The parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of great price that we looked at last week. So they wanted to know more. They were intrigued by Jesus' stories and what was he trying to teach them. So we're going to look at this last one that apparently Matthew remembers Jesus teaching in the house. And it's called the parable of the net. So it's Matthew 13, verses 47 through 52. And thank you all for having that up there. Listen to what Jesus says. Once again, and again, Jesus is saying, I've been telling you all this stuff. Remember what we talked about last week? If you're a teacher, if you're a coach, or you're a manager of people, you know sometimes you're trying to explain something, and they're maybe got this blank look on their face, and you have to say something over and over again or tell it in a different way to get them to finally, you see that light come on, and they go, oh, that's what you meant. So Jesus is telling all these different parables to get them to understand and grasp God's kingdom. So once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, 
The fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So let's look at this this parable Jesus tells here, it's a, a short one, and it's very similar, if you probably noticed, if you were here or read the parable of the, of the weeds, it's similar to that. But listen to, let's kind of look at what Jesus was saying here and try to figure out exactly what he's trying to get us to grasp about his kingdom. Well, he says God's kingdom is like a net. Now, we know what a net is, and we think about fishing. And interesting, in the actual Greek, fish are not mentioned at all. It's just implied. So you figure, obviously, if they're throwing a net out, they're catching fish. But we might think about a fishing net. We've seen fishermen, when they throw that, they cast that thing out, and it's got weights on it, and it's got a rope on it, and then it goes down. If they feel something, they pull that thing in. It's something you can do individually. But in the Greek here, which is the, the language that the original New Testament was written in, it's actually indicated here that this is not one of those kind of nets, but it's a drag net. And it's one where two... Two uh, boats might grab the, uh, the, this big, huge net and carry it between the two boats, and they go out and they pick up everything um, in, 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 the, in its path. It goes down between boats, got weights on it too, but these two boats are going side by side, and they're dragging to try to get anything and everything in its path. And it may not just take one pass of the lake or, or whatever you're on, but you might go back, back and forth through it over and over again. Um, Gary over there was telling me, uh, one of our elders, he was telling me about remembering doing this um, as, a young, as a young man, uh, going with some friends to the beach, and they actually would, one guy would, you'd put the net around your ankle, and you'd carry it like this, and somebody on that side would, and they actually caught fish this way. And I thought, that's neat. It's a, a great memory of his, but that's a, a, a thought of inclusiveness. And this is what we keep seeing in Jesus' parables. He's talking about this inclusiveness of the kingdom of God. And we see this certainly in this dragnet that is carrying in its path. And that inclusive characteristic of God's kingdom, it's a, this choice of net. And you notice when, when, a, when somebody does that, do they just catch fish in that net? No, they catch anything that gets in the way. You know, sometimes you'll see somebody on these shows where they're fishing, they'll pull up a net, and what do they have in it? They have fish, but they'll have old tires, old shoes, junk that comes up. Now, probably in that first century, there was some junk that would come up. Not nearly as bad, probably, as in our time. Have y'all seen these videos of the plastic bottles? And now can you imagine how many masks are going to end up in the oceans and all that kind of stuff? It's kind of crazy when we think about it. But the thing that I want us to see here and that Jesus, I think, is trying to say is God's kingdom is cast wide. It's a wide casting net. It catches all kinds of things. And that is how God wants us to understand his kingdom, that he's inclusive of everybody. It's a wide cast net. But sometimes I wonder, in our culture and in our world, does the world see that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, or the church, or the body of Christ, are we really operating in that kind of way where we're casting a wide net? Because when I think about fishing, probably most of you do, it's an individual thing. And I mean, you can do it with friends, but I'm going to take a pole or I'm going to take a rod of some sort and I'm going to flip that thing out there. I don't know if that's how you do it exactly. That's how I do it. You flip it out there. I'm kind of a, I'm not good with those ones you have to hold the thing. I like the ones with the buttons, you know, the Zebcos. I like those. You just flip that thing out there and you just slowly reel it in 
And you wait for it, you get a catch and you bring it in. You see how big it is. If it's big enough, you get to judge right then and there. You don't wait till you get the whole catch. You judge right then and there. Is this big enough to take a selfie with so everybody will know how big my fish is? Or is this big enough you know, to eat or we're we just going to throw it back? Oh, this is a little one, just throw it back. That's kind of how we're individual fishers. But the kingdom of God, the church, the body of Christ should not be like that. We should be like, oh, I like this group over here, so I'm going to try to get them to come into the church and be a part of our cool group. But uh, some of those folks over there are not quite as cool, so I'm not going to. No, he says the net goes out, and we try to bring everybody in, and we get all kinds. Just like in your family, we all got all kinds in our family, don't we? And that includes crazy people, all right? And we have them all in our family. We have friends, and guess what? Among our friends, we have some crazies in there, but sometimes that's why we love them, because they're a little off, you know? And we love them anyway, but that's the way God is describing the kingdom should be. It's a wide cast net. And so Jesus is not just saying this, y'all. He didn't just teach this. It's not something we just read and go, oh, that's great. Yeah, we should all be inclusive and wide casting. No, Jesus actually did this. And the reason that Jesus did, and because Jesus did this, he was criticized severely by people in his culture. They called him a drunkard. He hangs out with sinners. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of sinners. And they rejected him. And the ones who were rejecting him most were, you know who that was? The religious establishment. The ones who were supposed to be inclusive. But in Jesus, the way he was brought up in, in his community, he was brought up as Jewish. And we are exclusive. We are God's chosen people. And we are the few that are chosen by God. And everybody else is Gentile. And they're not worthy of coming to God. That was the mentality that Jesus grew up in. And so when we think about the life of Jesus, we read about in the Gospels, not only in Matthews, but in Luke's and, and Mark's and John's. The net was constantly cast wide for anybody. We see that in all of Jesus' teachings. The religious culture Jesus was born into was exclusive. And Jesus is trying to say, but that's not what God ever intended. When he chose the Israelites to be his people, that wasn't that you were supposed to keep it to yourself and not show. You were supposed to reflect to the rest of the world who God was and what a relationship with God was supposed to be all about. That was your role as being chosen, but you took it and made it something exclusive that God never intended. And sometimes we do that in the church, and that's not what God intends. But let's think again about Jesus, how he was consistently exclusive with that in his culture. Think about how he called his disciples. In the early calling of disciples in that century, there would be a rabbi and a lot of young boys, all little boys and girls had to learn to memorize the Torah. I know we can't even grasp that. And that is the first five books of the Bible. Did you hear what I said? They were required to what? Memorize that. Not read it. Memorize. Can you imagine memorizing the first five books of the Bible? And those who didn't do that very well by a certain age, the rabbis would go, yeah, they're probably not going to go any further and they're going to go out and they're going to do something else with their lives like be a fisherman or, or a carpenter. Interesting that Jesus was a carpenter until he was 30 years old and even beyond that. But these, these uh, young boys would say, hey, I want to be a follower of that rabbi. And they would go to that rabbi and they say, I want to be your follower. And they would request to be a follower of that rabbi. And if they made the cut, they could follow him around. And they literally followed them around and tried to do everything that they did. And isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't go that route? What did he do when he went for his followers? He didn't wait for them to come and call him and say, can I be your follower? He called them, didn't he? He went to Matthew 
He went to him at a tax collecting booth and says, come follow me. He goes, are you sure? Because everybody hates me because I work for Rome. I know, come follow me. We're, we're, we're fishermen, Jesus. We didn't even go ask a rabbi to follow him because we couldn't make the cut. You're asking us to follow you? And Jesus said, yeah, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Remember that? And so Jesus was always inclusive. He was always casting a wide net. His interaction with women who were also his followers, they followed Jesus around. He called them. One of them he had cast seven demons out of, Mary Magdalene, and she followed Jesus. His interaction with the woman at the well, he, he interacted with women where people go, you're not supposed to do that. Males aren't supposed to do that in culture, but it was a wide net for Jesus. His interaction and love for children. The children were coming up to him, and the disciples are going, get, it, get these kids away from Jesus. He doesn't have time for this. And Jesus says, are you kidding me? Mark's gospel said Jesus was indignant. He goes, let them come to me, for the kingdom belongs to such as these, Jesus said. He understood that. He made it a wide-ranging net. How about those who healed? And a lot of those Jesus healed were people that you weren't even supposed to be around, like lepers. And a lot of people in that culture thought if you had a physical illness, a physical disease, if you were blind or lame, it was because you did some kind of a sin and God was punishing you for it. So they were ostracized. They were excluded. But Jesus walked right up and touched those who had leprosy. And everybody's like, you're not even supposed to be around them. I can't believe you're going to touch them. You're going to get it. And they were healed. Jesus included those people. His constant interaction and compassion with the healing with Gentiles, people that he was a Jew. You're not supposed to associate with Gentiles. But think about the Roman servant. A Roman centurion came to Jesus one day and says, Please, I have a servant who's very ill. Can, will you heal him? And people are going, This is a Roman centurion. that We are under their thumb. We are occupied by this Roman empire. Why would you do something nice for them as a Jew, Jesus? And Jesus ignored all of that and said, Take me to your servant. And he goes, oh, no, no, I understand authority, Jesus. If you'll just say the words, he'll be healed. And Jesus says, I have not seen any kind of faith like this among my own people. It was a wide cast net. The Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus is asking her for a drink, and she's going, what? You're not even supposed to be talking to me, much less asking me for a drink of water. But Jesus was casting the net wide. And by the end of that conversation, the woman had this new identity of who she was, and she called all her friends. you got to meet this guy, Jesus. It was a wide cast net. How about the woman who was bleeding for 12 years? And you know, because in that culture, if you were bleeding, you were considered ostracized, and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus goes, I felt some power leave me, and he had compassion on her and showed her that he cared. Even though she'd been going through this horrible thing for 12 years, he healed her. A wide cast net. The Syrophoenician woman, you might remember, she came and said, Hey, Jesus, will you please heal my daughter? And the disciples and other people that saw her coming after Jesus and being persistent with that, Please come heal my daughter. They go, Just stop. Leave them alone. And Jesus says, It's not right for me to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And you're like, What did he just say to her? That seems so disrespectful. But she didn't miss a beat and says, I'll even take the crumbs from the table if that'll get my daughter healed. And Jesus says, wow, what a faith you have. He was setting her up to show the rest of the people that this wide cast net included people who really had faith and wanted to seek God if they were just given the opportunity. And we think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. When we hear Good Samaritan, we go, yeah, Good Samaritan. But when other Jewish people heard that, they go, Good Samaritan? That's an oxymoron. There are no Good Samaritans. And Jesus used that. It was a wide cast net. So we see here that Jesus is making no mistake about this, that his net is gathering. And what did he say? When the net got what? Full. 
Not when there was a few in there, not just a, a, a little bit of fish, but a full thing. Jesus did not tell us just to talk about and pray about this kingdom of God that's wide. He says he lived it out and he acted on it. And even as he was dying on the cross, think about this. He continues to offer that wide net. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And every time I read that and hear that, y'all, I go, what do you mean they didn't know what they were doing? They seemed very much in charge of what they were doing to you. And they did it anyway. But Jesus, even in his death, is casting a wide net. Said, Father, please forgive them. I want to gather all of them till this net is full. And even the thief next to him, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom today? And what did Jesus say to him? Today, today, I tell you, you will be in paradise with me. Even as he's dying, he's including people. And that's amazing. So make no mistake, there is a rest to this parable. But we need to see that point, that he's casting the net wide. And he wants to fill it up till it's full. And he doesn't come to the beach with it or to the shore with it until it's completely full. Not just when it has a few of the desired fish in it, but no, when it's completely full. And then when it's completely full, we'll sort it all out. Now, don't, don't make a mistake here that there's a rest of this parable. In this parable, there is an end. The net does get full. There is this time of separation, this judgment that takes place. And this is actually really more of a kingdom of a parable. It's more of a, a parable of judgment. Jesus told three categories of parables. One was the parable of the kingdom, which are these early ones. And in the middle of his ministry, he told the parables of grace, the ones we really like, where Jesus talks about the prodigal son and the forgiveness. And those are, oh, we go, those are awesome. But then as Jesus got closer to his death, but only Towards the end, right before he dies, he tells these parables of judgment that we go, oh, I don't like those. Those aren't as fun as the parables of grace and the kingdom, God. But he does say there is going to be this judgment. There is going to be this coming. There is going to be this end of the age. And we don't get to vote in the judgment. Aren't you glad? Because I'm going to include myself, of course, aren't you? You're good enough to make it into the good bucket, but not all these other people that have wronged me or I disagree with. They need to be in the wrong bucket. Because well, you're not going to be involved in that. It's going to be my angels who are going from God's guidance. And the, the criteria seems to be, did you accept Jesus in God's kingdom in your lifetime? Or did you reject Jesus in God's kingdom in your lifetime? And Jesus does not shy away or try to hide this part of God's kingdom. When you read Matthew 25, I'll give you some homework. Go home and read Matthew chapter 25. There's three parables in there, and these are parables of judgment. But these parables that they talk about, they have to do with what we did with what we had while we were here on earth. What did we do with what we, were, we had while we were here on earth? And in each there is this judgment. In each there was a reasonable period for each person to respond, but they did not respond. And there will be an end of the age. And all of us, guess what, are heading towards the end of the age, aren't we? We're all heading at the end. And I know if you're young, you're going, man, I hate when they talk about that. I'm young. I want to experience all these things. Why do you got to talk about the end? And some of us who are closer to that end are going, I just wish Jesus would come right now because I'm sick of the way the world's going. Isn't that true? I hear that so much now after all that's going on in our culture. I just wish Jesus would come on back. But Jesus is going, I understand. God's saying, I understand. But I want my net to be full with all my children. Not just a few. I want to give them some more chance to turn their lives around. They need that. So how will we be judged? How will you be judged? How will you be judged on how you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? As how you accepted His kingdom? Or did you reject Jesus? Did you reject His kingdom? And that's the part we don't like. Well, I don't want to get into that right now. But we must recognize that the same God... 
The same God that set up this kingdom of righteousness and grace is the same God who cannot simply overlook unrighteousness, sin, evil, selfishness, hatred, and rejection in the face of that righteousness and grace. He can't just go, I didn't see that. I'm going to pretend I didn't see that going on over there. He has to face injustice and evil. He has to do something about it. He cannot overlook what Jesus had to go through in order to forgive that. It can't just be overlooked and walked away from. So I want to give you this illustration, and a lot of times we struggle with that. A lot of your friends, a lot of my friends, a lot of us struggle with, yeah, I love that grace part of God, but I have a problem with that wrath part of God. Don't y'all? I mean, can't we just forgive everybody? But man, when something has been done so horrific to you or to somebody else, and we see or read about those things, we just go, man, why didn't God do something? Then we want him to have wrath, don't we? We want that part of God. So Muroslav Volf, I'm butchering his name, he is uh, uh, from Croatia, and he wrote a book called Free of Charge. But he said before he wrote this book and before he experienced what happened in his own country because of a war, he used to have this concept of God. He says, I thought the idea of an angry God was barbaric, completely unworthy of a God of love. But then my country experienced this brutal war. And people committed terrible atrocities against their own neighbors, their own countrymen. And the following reflections he wrote about in this book he wrote, which is called Free of Charge. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed and over 3 million were displaced from their homes. My villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine God not being angry at all this. Or think of Rwanda in the past decade, in the past century, where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. How did God react to the carnage? By, doing, by doting on the perpetrators in a grandfatherly fashion, by refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetrators' basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. That's an interesting perspective, isn't it? When you see the atrocities of war, some of the things that we know happen in our culture and in our world, we do have a different perspective. Well, yeah, yeah, God, you should do something about that, but not, not my stuff. I mean, my stuff's not bad. You can just forget about that and pretend that didn't happen. No, God says, I have to face it all because I'm all-knowing. I know it all happened. And so he sent Jesus to take care of that. British evangelist uh, Rico Tice, I read about this week, it's interesting. He says, loving people means warning people. Is that not true? If we really love people, we're going to warn them against things that are harmful to them or that can, that can certainly hurt them. But he says, I was in Australia visiting a friend and he took me to a beach on Botany Bay. So I decided, I'm in Australia, I'm going swimming in the ocean. And he said, I took off my shirt and I started running. Through. He goes, hey, hey, what are you doing, man? <laughs> he says, well, I'm going for a swim. And he says, well, what about those signs? And he pointed to the signs which says, sharks in this area, very dangerous. He goes, well, I didn't see the signs. But he says, with all the confidence of an Englishman, I said, don't be ridiculous. I'll be fine. He goes, well, let me just say this, mate. 
200 Australians have died in shark attacks on this area. You've got to decide whether those shark signs are there to save you or to ruin your fun. You're of age, you decide. And he said, I decided not to go swimming that day. And so God does that in our lives. He tells us about these things because he doesn't want us to get hurt. And the the writer of this goes on to say, he says, many of the words about hell in the Bible are straight from who? Jesus. He wants us to know about a real place, about an eternal separation from God. He wants us to know about that. And he doesn't want us to go there. That's why he cast a wide net. And the reason Jesus talked about hell is he doesn't want us to go there. And the reason Jesus died so that people would not have to go there. And the only way to go to hell is to trample over the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's still people who do that and ignore it. I don't need that. I don't need that. I can do it on my own. I can figure out there's not a lot of other ways. No, there's not. Nobody else in those other faiths died for you and rose again for you. Even though there might be some good things in those other religions and other faiths, they do not have a Savior. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The writer of Hebrews says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. Think about that. Nothing we have done gets by God. He knows it all and he still loves us and still sent Jesus to die for us. So Jesus finishes this parable and I know it's kind of like, well, yeah, that started out good, but all inclusive and now people are going to hell. I don't like that. It's in there. I'm just telling you what's in there. Again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Matthew probably didn't like it when he heard it, but he kept writing. I'm writing everything Jesus told me because he wants us to know all of it. He wants us to know the truth. And so they, he's, Jesus asked him, he goes, all right, after all these parables you've heard me tell, so do you understand all these things? And what did they say? Yeah. Just like we do. Yeah, I understand. But you really don't. They didn't understand, y'all, because we don't understand, do we? We get little bits and pieces of it, and Jesus understood that. But he said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And I believe Jesus is saying here, he's talking, the new is what he's revealing. God was revealing in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, this new covenant that would come as a, as a ultimately when Jesus died and rose again. This was this new covenant in his death and his cross and the resurrection. And it won't be completely revealed, y'all, because there's still evil in the world. Even though Jesus has overcome sin, there's still evil in the world because it's not been completely consummated until Jesus comes a second time. And let me tell you, Jesus said, I'm coming again. And he will. We don't know when. We don't get to choose that, but he says he is coming again. And the old covenant, the old he's talking about, is we need to look back at our old lives and remember some of those things that we walked away from. The old Craig, I need it rears its ugly head a lot, and I need to remember that. And I remember like the old covenant, that we had a covenant with God that we have broken, just like the Israelites did over and over again. And we were God's chosen people, and we, this old points to this realization that the law can't save me. Only Jesus can save me. And we cry out for a Savior, the Messiah. So today the question is this. What are you doing with Jesus and his kingdom? And are we judging people or are we fishing for people? Are we fishing to let people know the transforming power of Jesus? So we're going to offer an opportunity today for you not to come up here and say, yeah, I fully understand everything about the kingdom and God because none of us do. But you say, what I do understand is that God cast a wide net 
And he wanted me to be in that net. And he assured that I would be in that net by dying on the cross and resurrecting for me so that I could be in heaven with him and that I could be a part of this kingdom while I'm on this earth.